Hello and welcome to the Hopkins Biotech Podcast Career Segment, where we illuminate life science career opportunities outside of academia through the experiences of those who have been there before. For updates about upcoming guests, follow us on social media and visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I am your host, Gustavo Carrizo. Our guest today is Adrian Rupstein. Adrian is an advisor for several biotech companies in Argentina, and he previously worked as an advisor for Red Crowd BC in San Francisco and has more than 10 years working in the pharmaceutical industry in companies like Novartis and Merck KG. He's currently a principal at CITES, a venture builder from Argentina where they are translating science to business. Additionally, Adran has his own newsletter in LinkedIn called BioBusiness, where he discusses topics like the future of biotech and healthcare, deep analysis into investment strategies, acquisition and exit, strategic partnerships, and way more. Adrian holds a master's degree in biology, molecular and cellular biology, from the University of Buenos Aires, and has collaborated in several scientific publications in the area of neuroscience. Adrian, thank you for joining us today. Hi, Gustavo. How's everything over there? Thank you very much for inviting me to the podcast. Really happy to be here. Yeah. And as I said in the intro, you're coming from Argentina and we would really like to hear more about your background. And of course, we know what is the what was the beginning of your career and the end, right? You are now in BC, but we'd like to hear more about your path, like how actually from being an academic, what happened after and how did you make it to the business world and also being working right now in venture capital? Yeah, yeah, sure. A pleasure. Well, uh, after I've, I finished my studies in, uh, in molecular biology, I thought that I need to have a little bit of more background on pharmacology uh, on that sense, since uh, I don't know how it's in the U.S. right now. But people f coming from the biology and molecular biology, we don't have a background on anything related to epidemiology or pharmacology or anything like that. So I started my studies as a pharmacologist just uh, to learn uh, more about it since there was no PhD for pharmacology at that time. And after I finished that, I asked myself, okay, I need more clinical experience. Uh, I want to understand how we can translate molecular science uh, into medicine and the clinical setting. So I trained as an epidemiologist at a hospital here in, in Buenos Aires. It is Italian, the Italian hospital is the biggest one, uh, maybe in the region. Uh, and I worked there for more or less three or four years. And I have my full background from molecular biology and the clinical setting. So I have the full spectrum in that sense. Um, and then I had the opportunity maybe to go, some people will call the dark side, others not. But I had the opportunity to start working on the pharma company uh, at Merck. I used to work at Novaris for that, for R&D, uh, the clinical setting R&D. But then I went to go for the medical department uh, at Merck, the German one, not the, the US one, uh, working in the medical field. Uh, and then a couple of years later, I started working as a BD and then being the, let's say, the ambassador for their investment arm uh, in Latin America. You know, scouting new technologies, uh, building the case for the business case or the investment case, and then try to to work with the guys in, in Germany. Well, they have the, the venture armies in Rotterdam, in the, in the Netherlands, but uh, working with them, trying to find new technologies from LATAM that could be, of, uh, could be investable for the, for the venture arm. And uh, after that, I got a little bit tired of working at the multinational company. You know, uh, it's a bit different than working in academia or other things. 
so I start working for uh, for the venture the venture firm that's called Sitges. But uh, before that, uh, I used to advise a couple of funds in US, uh, a couple of companies also in US, and a couple of companies here in Latam. So I got a lot of experience on trying to understand how to we can translate the science into the business. Uh, you can, you can find a lot of people that don't have a science background that's telling you, I understand the business. Uh, and I know how the things works. And I asked them, how can you understand the business if you don't understand the science? Right. Mm-hmm. How can you, how, how can you model the market if you don't understand which is the population that you're targeting? Or if you don't understand which other possibilities, uh, for this new invention that you have. So I tried to merge all this information together. Uh, and start working here in, uh, in cities. Uh, in, in, this is a place, it's, a, it's not a VC or, or a conventional VC. It's a, it's a venture builder in which we talk with the guys in academia and we try to understand which is the problem that they can solve with invention. There can be, you know, there's a, the model for trying to understand these uh, possibilities in which you have one invention that could be used for different problems, or you try to understand the market and you say, if I have a problem, which technology can be used to solve this problem? So we go from the two ways, trying to understand if there's any problem and we have a technology to solve it, or maybe we go to the academia and try to scout uh, investigators. And once we find a technology which can disrupt a market or disrupt any industry, we we worked together with the with investigator and the team around it uh, to build the company. Yeah. So that's uh, that's mm-hmm. the, the the interesting part about uh, working in that sense. Yeah, and I would like to take you back, um, you know, in your story a little bit and ask you when that change of mindset actually happened to you, like you know, um, from being an academic, being interested in entrepreneurship, in you know, in business. Um, Maybe, you know, tell us a little bit more about how big companies, maybe um, this pharma company actually play the role. And because you were talking about, you know, the dark side um, and, you know, you are clearly talking about going from academia to industry. But at the same time, you know, if an ecosystem like Latin America doesn't have those companies, it's very difficult to, you know, to take early stage companies to, you know, more later stage and, and, you know, really develop those technologies. So... Clearly, we need those places, um, but we still talk about the dark side. Um, and so I would like to hear more um, about your um, perspective there. And the second question related to that as well is that, you know, after you got all of that experience, before even joining CITES, you were advising other startup companies. And you said that you're advising companies from the U.S., and clearly, you know, the U.S. is one of those markets where every biotech company wants to go. And my question here is like how those companies that were looking for advice and for advisors, how did they see you, you know, and and what is the value that they were trying to find from someone coming from Latin America? Yeah. Okay. Let me start from the beginning. Uh, I I used to work in academia doing research like every uh, undergrad or graduate or PhD or whatever. But I always had that, let's say, commercial part of me uh, as a young as a young boy I used to you know I, I used to sell toys uh, on the weekends right just just to get money from me uh, when I was maybe seven eighty nine year old so I always have that commercial part of me 
And I was trying to merge this scientific part of me with this, with the commercial one. And when I was finishing my undergrad thesis, I, I had a, like a fight with my director, let's say that, in which we found an, uh, you know, an interaction between P53, which is, you know, the big master from oncology and one, uh, another compound, one another protein that was a deacetylation, uh, enzyme. So I said, okay, we found this interaction. Maybe we can work on that direction. Maybe we can find, uh, you know, any compound that could be used for oncology. And he told me, we're here just to publish. Uh, I'm not paying you for the, you know, thinking about it. So I said, you know, uh, that's not my pathway. I surely, I should go to another places. And, uh, you know, uh, that was a, a break point for me in which I said, you know, I have to go somewhere else trying to find my direction. And I, I mean, I love science, right? I, I always, uh, wanted to be a scientist since I was pretty young. Uh, one of the funny things is that I, I don't like to talk about it, but I, I started, I started biology because I wanted to be an X-Men, right? Uh, Wolverine was, I, I was a big fan of Wolverine at the time. And I say, if I can get someone to increase the uh, immunology system, maybe I can build uh, a Wolverine or something like that. So I started biology. Uh, I was young. I was 16. So I was, uh, at that time. Well, and, uh, the, the big pharma company was a huge step for me. I, I'm talking about the dark side because that's a, a lot of people see the pharma company. You know, if, if they build an, an innovation and they charge you a lot for it, everybody thinks that you're making a profit from the life saving and this kind of thing. So that's the dark side. But if you go, uh, into the ecosystem, the pharma companies are the, one of the biggest stakeholders and the ones that are going to help you if you're a founder on a small biotech company working on therapeutics, uh, they're going to be the ones that hold your hand from preclinical and IND, FDA approval, anti-commercializing. They're the ones that are going to help you. You have some uh, biotech companies that went all the way, maybe Henentech. Uh, now you have Bluebird from the, you know, CRISPR technology. Uh, but you, ne you need to have these partnerships, right? So working at the pharma companies and I also work with the guys in Boston. So I got a sense of what the things are going on. And, uh, and the second part of your question, working for uh, US companies, being a LATAM advisor, they don't, it depends on which company you're talking about, right? Uh, they sometimes think that since you're coming from Latin America, maybe you don't know the full story or you don't have all the expertise, uh, these kind of things. But when you start talking with them, I mean, we're global right now, so it doesn't make any sense in which part of the world you are. I could be in, you know, Southeast or Asia or whatever. It doesn't make sense. The thing is that you have the experience and you have the knowledge to be able to talk about it. I mean, a couple of months ago, I had to advise a company in, in Boston who, who needed to go to the bio and they have a really cool technology, right? Uh, but they didn't know how to talk with pharma. Mm. And one of the main things is that if you're coming from academia, you sometimes you don't have the experience or you, you don't know how to talk with the guys and you know what they're looking for. I mean, it's not just getting a deck and just working on 10 pages of technology and then two pages of market, right? The guys, I mean, you have the business guys and you have the science guys and you need to convince them both. But 
you need to work with the commercial guys first because they're the ones that are going to push the science guys. Uh, so these kind of things and how to think the strategy around it, you know, how to position the company, how to position the molecule and these kind of things. It comes from working inside. Uh, that's pretty much the idea. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guys really value the, the information and they're always looking for, uh, you know, in, uh, outside job to, to complement their skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That makes sense. Um, and my last question regarding your path, um, you said in one part as well that you did far, you went to do pharmacy because there was no PhD, um, you know, for that area um, there in Latin America. And I really wonder about, you know, for example, not having a PhD or even also not having an MBA, like how was your experience, you know, lacking in those degrees? Um, and if that was actually maybe a benefit or, you know, was was easier for you to make it through your path or actually that make you struggle a little bit, you know, to to be able to pursue those positions uh, and move on your career in the future. So what is your perspective uh, regarding that? Sure, sure. I mean, it, it, it depends on which is the way that you're looking at it. Uh, having a PhD is, uh, is like having a specialization in some field. I mean, you're just laser focusing all your knowledge in one area. And I was more like a generalistic kind of a guy, trying to understand a little bit of everything and try to converge all this information in the same place. Uh, so, I mean, having a studied biology, pharmacology, epidemiology gave me the full spectrum of how to understand what the technology can be used for. I mean, which is the problem that can be solved. I mean, I'm not the real expert. I can talk to you about CRISPR, but I cannot tell you the deep side information and how you made the sequence for the enzyme or how you made the sound or these kind of things, right? Or the probe, how you, how you make the probe for the, the, the place that you're going to cut. But I understand how the technology works and how it can be useful for a clinical setting or maybe understanding which are the problems outside the field of academia that can uh, benefit from this technology. So having different uh, perspectives and working with different people gave me this, this main idea of working as an integrator, right? A couple of people used to tell me that I'm quite a chimera kind of a guy because it's difficult to get a guy from the academia who knows the business uh, and try to mix it up. Um, so having all this information, it really makes the case in which you don't need exactly an MBA for making a business, right? You don't need exactly a PhD for working in, in these kind of things. But the negative side is that you don't, you're not a matter such a big expert on that sense. I mean, you're not an expert on CRISPR or an expert on talent or expert on whatever, right? So you need to work with the expert. And sometimes the, the main idea is you don't need to know everything. You just need to know the guy who knows this, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I like to work as a network effect, right? You know, if you know one people and then the other people who know other people, you can make a really big network uh, to work with, with people that already know the technology, but sometimes they don't understand how they can get this invention and turn it into innovation. You know, innovation is invention that can solve a problem. Yeah. There's, uh, I mean, different kind of guys. Some guys like to work on the lab and get all the inventions that they have. And another guy like to work on different fields. Yeah, I agree. I think it's very important, you know, to be 
to surround yourself with the talent, so the people that really knows, you know, what they are doing. But at the same time, the network, as you said, you know, the network effect, I think is also very important. Um, and I think that also takes skills, right? Like how to how to be able to um, network with people, convince people, and and you know, surround yourself with with that talent. Um, I think also it's very important to you know to think about, yeah, as the, what we were talking before, like the importance of having a PhD. And I think you know, Latin America, you know, countries like like ours, is very difficult to get a PhD, and and even here in the US as well, like you know, doing a PhD is an investment. And I think it's very important that you know your path, where you want to go. And then from there, try to, you know, to build it and, and try to really be mindful about um, what are you passionate about? What are your own skills? And then from there, decide if a PhD or even an MBA is important for you and for your career. And so thank you for, for sharing that. And I would like to move on now to, you know, to CITES. You know, we, we really want to hear more about what the venture builder is, like, you know, what is basically as well, like how is a venture building working in an ecosystem in, in Latin America or in Argentina? So can you tell us a little bit more about, you know, describe that ecosystem uh, in biotech uh, in that region? And then also like, you know, what is the portfolio, how um, CITES works and, and how are you translating science to business? Sure. Well, I mean, the, the ecosystem is LATAM. In, in LATAM, is the ecosystem that you have in U.S. maybe at the late 90s, something like that. It's printed in its infancy. Infancy, sorry. I mean, Argentina, Brazil, and LATAM in general, they have a strong history on doing research, but doing research just to publish. Or what is uh, the basic uh, foundation from science is working on the lab and just have curiosity and say, uh, you know, following the, the the science method, right? I have an idea and I'm looking something and I have an experiment and I validate my hypothesis and kind of things, right? So there's a lot of experiments and a lot of new inventions that came from people with high curiosity. You know, the the TAC polymerase, you know, the enzyme for PCR just went from a thermophile and, uh, you know, bacteria that works that, that was living near a volcano, right? So these kind of things are fundamental for trying to understand how everything works. Uh, so we have a, a, a strong history on working on science, but uh, entrepreneurship from, I mean, maybe 10 years ago, seven years ago, uh, was not the best place to be. I mean, uh, uh, most of the scientists were looking at you and say, you need your scientists, you, you were built and you studied for publish and discovered the, the big question of a universe, right? And not building a company. So it took a lot of time, a lot of people working on that sense. Uh, and right now we are probably four companies or four venture builders working on the ecosystem. Uh, in Argentina, um, you have a couple more in LATAM, um, but uh, the main idea is try to change the, the paradigm here and try to help scientists that want to build companies and how to build them. And that's, this is not a, a deal breaker for them, right? It's not like, like they are, <laughs> they're forbidden to doing that. And they're, I mean, they're also working doing big science, but inside the company. I mean, uh, we, we encourage companies that are invested by us or by any other firm that they need to build a company and get a product on the market, but also publishing. You know, publish is going to get you everywhere. 
And this is the validation for the technology that they're using. I mean, you need to have a lot of uh, publishing, a lot of papers to do the patent or the claiming. So you need to have this in place. Uh, but related to the, you know, to the budget that uh, LATAM has for these kind of things, uh, it's pretty low right now. Uh, most of the tickets, uh, let's say for building the company, they go from 200K, maybe 700K. That's a lower number to build the company. When they, I mean, we don't have this BIR or these kind of grants that you guys have in US. These kind of things that they don't exist uh, right now in, in LATAM. So we have a small amount of people uh, who invest or understood that we need to invest in biotech. We have uh, also big funds like SoftBank and Canada funds that they have the LATAM version. I think Sequoia, it's always, uh, they also have it. Uh, they have like big firms that they're looking and scouting for new technologies. And LATAM is a place for, for new technologies to be discovered. And the thing that always happened for LATAM is like we're short of budget. And the scientists in LATAM, when they go elsewhere, they're really looked for because we can do things with lower budget that maybe US or Europe counterparts because we don't have that money to, <laughs> to do the, those kind of things. But, uh, you know, LATAM, they have a really, really nice, uh, compelling history for a starting point, right? We, we never know what's going to happen in 10 years, but we, we really leverage on the, on the expertise that we have. That's mainly because agrotech, uh, is the, 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 the biggest, uh, industry right now in, in LATAM. Uh, we have a lot of experience and I mean, a lot of natural resources to work on that sense. Uh, most of the companies working in LATAM, they're working on agrotech from different, uh, perspectives. We have, uh, people doing genetic engineer for new plants. We have people working on AI for, uh, increase the, you know, the, the yield from the crops. Uh, we have people working on logistics. Um, and we also have some people on fintech helping uh, you know, uh, the agrotech. So that, that's, uh, you know, the, the main, uh, industry, but, uh, we have also, uh, a, a lot of experience on, on medtech, you know, on diagnostics. There are a couple of companies working on therapeutics in that sense, but the deal is that you get the seed round. And then the, when you want to go to a series A, and uh, we know that, therapeutic companies and healthcare in general, they're capital intensive, they're burning money like crazy. Uh, so if you go to a series A in US or Europe, you're talking, I'm not talking numbers oversubscribed round, right? I'm just a normal round, 10, $15 million on the bottom level, right? And uh, you cannot get this amount of money here. So we really encourage companies that they have a, a strong probability of getting a series A to, uh, to move part of a company to the US or maybe in Europe. And it's just mainly because they need to be in the, in a mature ecosystem, right? US right now is uh, the, the, the one who has the, 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 the best. I don't want to, see, I don't want to say the best, but the more mature ecosystem. And they have the biggest possibilities to get the, the product to the market, but. The good thing is that they can leave the R&D, sorry, R&D uh, in LATAM. 
This is the most competitive, you know. Uh, so they can work here and the uh, Latam and have the management team into the US and the one that's going to make the deals and the, one, the ones that are going to talk with pharma on another companies. Uh, they have a highest probability of success uh, to continue the company until they have an exit. It could be uh, maybe an M&A or uh, uh, maybe an IPO. We don't have any Latam company from biotech to an, an IPO. But right now, maybe not right now, from but before COVID uh, and uh, and in 2020, uh, IPOs for biotech they were like a huge deal, like a SPVs kind of a deal. They were like all over the place. So there's uh, a lot of uh, interest on the on it. I mean, we are looking for new and disruptive technologies. We don't really care for where they come. Uh, so Latam is just another. Uh, the uh, source deal for uh, for getting uh, new technologies right yeah and now that we are talking about the region itself um you said that you know it's very difficult to rise a series a for example right so one of the things is lacking in the region is capital and what do you think that you know the you know countries you know in latin america should do to attract more capital and of course i'm sure that you know the the ecosystem is developing at the point that the the capital is coming but what do you think we should put more the effort and, and even if that's necessary to do, what is your perspective? I have a boss in pharma uh, that they have a really nice saying for that is that uh, LATAM revenue is equal to the amount of money that we uh, we pay for photocopies in US, right? Uh, I mean, LATAM is a huge and diverse, uh, I don't want to say subcontinent, but part of America. But the market is not the biggest one. It tends to be below Europe, US, Asia. Uh, we have uh, like uh, great technologies, great uh, and talented investigators, but the market is not big enough uh, for this kind of industry. I mean, the fintech industry in Latam is huge, uh, but biotech is not big enough on that sense. So it's not that attractive for many investors since the market is not big enough. Uh, and in the other part, sometimes the rules tend not to be, uh, I don't want to say that, but the rules tend not to, to convey or tend not to last that longer. And maybe we change the rules every couple of years. So investors, they want to have like a clear path for any business. And if you're changing the rules every once in a while, uh, I mean, it's uh, they, 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 they. I mean, it's venture capital, right? They're making risk, but they want to have calculated risk and need yeah. to understand what is going to happen in five years. So, we, if you don't have a clear picture in that sense, sometimes uh, it tends to be a little bit difficult to attract these uh, these people. Yeah, and when you're talking about the rules, I'm assuming that one of the things is, you know, political instability and. And yeah, I mean, it's true, right? Every time there is a new government, you know, every four years or so depending the country, um, rules can change. And, you know, part of the risk is that as well. And, you know, again, we are talking about investments in biotech that are more than five years. And and clearly, you know, when the rules change like that, it, it's a problem. So I think definitely there is an effort that needs to be made in that area. Um, and But anyway, like, do you see that in Latin America or in Argentina, um, is it a good moment for biotech and compared to the world? And how do you see, you know, the technologies that are in the area um, there playing a role? 
Uh, you know, uh, all, all the people tells that the valuations are dropping down. I'm saying that they're normalizing and they went to the place that they surely had to be in the last year, right? So, uh, right now it's a, it's a, it's a good place, uh, to be valuations at the early stage are, uh, are at the good level. Uh, I mean, they're the level that they had to be, right? Without the hype and these kind of things. Um, Latam has, to, as I mentioned to you before, there's a really cool technologies, mostly on agro. There's, we have a, a, a couple of companies working uh, in food ingredients. For example, food ingredients right now is a huge, uh, part of the, of the pie for investment. Uh, and they're going a, a, a scalable kind of a way. And, and there's a high probability from that sense. We have a, a lot of investigators with experience in genetic engineering. And we have companies working uh, to to try to change, uh, you know, corn and wheat. And we have a couple working on cannabis, uh, which I know in the US is a big deal. A big deal and you have like a really, really cool companies also in Canada. Um, so there's a lot of experience on that sense. We just need to push the boundaries a little bit more uh, for more investigators to go uh, to entrepreneurship. We need to have, uh, I mean, in US, uh, there's a lot of uh, entrepreneurship courses in undergrad and also in, in graduate school. Uh, we don't have it right now, uh, as in a standardized way. So there's a couple of uh, funds working on that direction and working in the, with the undergrads to show them the, the possibilities, uh, for going in that direction. Uh, and the technology, I mean, biotech is global. You, ha you, you have access to any technology. Maybe not if you're looking, you know, for mass spectrometry and you need to, to buy this device could be one, two million dollars in that sense. So not everybody can have access to that. Um, but if you have a, a consortium of different labs, you can get one. Uh, so the main thing is sometimes related not only to budget, but also to change the paradigm on how the scientists see each other and not just seeing them as a publishing machine, but also as a game-changing machine. Uh, so we're working in that direction. Maybe in 10 years, the history will be different uh, and it's going to be a huge help. But, you know, uh, we, we don't have the magic eight ball to, yeah. to say that. Yeah, for sure. But, you know, only time will say and... Definitely, as you said, all the work that you're doing with CITES and to try to, you know, like support scientists and, and you know, work through that change of mindset is, is very key. Um, I want to now transition and ask you about your day-to-day -day basis at CITES, how it's working the Venture Builder. And at the same time, how, you know, your newsletter, you know, you're a very curious person and how that also fits in, in your day-to-day -day basis. And finally, as well, like how, you know, from CITES, how is they interacting with institutions, with scientists from the lab? Yeah, I, 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 I sometimes tend to be a messy guy. Uh, so I have my notion kind of deal and I get all the, all the, you know, all the information that I want to publish. I have it maybe one month earlier and I try to build this newsletter. And what this was part of a therapeutic kind of a deal. Uh, for me to, you know, to express myself. I started a newsletter just for me. And right now I think it's 3000 ish people. Uh, so, I mean, that's pretty much to, to, 
to, to talk with people and for anybody who wants to learn a little bit more about different kind of deals from bio business, that's part of the things that I really, I really like to talk about. And, um, this is part of the, the thing. Uh, the other one from the day to day, uh, we, we scout and we talk with investigators. Uh, we sometimes work to any university. Uh, and the thing here is that an undergrad is six years of study. It's not college and then uh, working a PhD is the, you know, for you to have a degree, it's six years. It's like, a, it's like a, having a master's. So for us, it's six years plus the master plus. So it's like 15 years or so. Um, so we talk with investigators and we try to understand their motivations. I mean, we can find a great technology and we talk to them and say, you know, there's a possibility to doing this, 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 and this. And sometimes the investigator says, I don't want to take part of it. And I like to publish and I have my grants and all these kind of things. But sometimes the bug of curiosity comes to an investigator and say, you know what? It makes sense. Uh, I also have some PhDs working with me. Maybe we can build uh, a company around our 10-year uh, R&D process, right? Um, we always like to to work with uh, or build companies around uh, a technology that is being built from the uh, in the lab and has experience and history around it. We don't we don't want people who pivot their model or pivot their research just for us to invest in. We, we want to invest in a in a history and a team, and if possible, in a patent. I mean, IP is like part of the business model, but sometimes if they don't have the an IP, we help them to get the IP. And then we work with them on an investment case. I mean, we, we write an investment report for the committee, but this is going both sides, right? We work with them to understand the technology and to help them realize which is the scope of what they're building, right? Most of these guys and girls, um, they don't really understand which is a business model. They don't understand which is the go to go to market strategy. They don't understand which is regulatory. We, they don't understand probably almost everything related to the market fit. So we work with them and say, you know what? Your technology can be used for this, this, and this, and it solves this, 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 and this problem. And the market potentially is this one, but this is just for them to understand that they are getting into the big problems. I mean, coming from the academia, we always want to solve the biggest question and understand how the world works. And this is the same, but different. They doing research, but in a private company. Who needs to make, on which needs to make a profit? But it's a profit-based science. And uh, it's uh, it start to get into them. Um, right now, more and more investigators they approach it as proactively, showing us what they're doing. And our day to base basis is talking with them, understanding which are the the projects. Right now, we talk about projects, not companies, right? Which are the projects that make sense? Uh, which are the projects that high highest probability of survival? Since uh, you know that. Nine of the 10 companies, they fail from different deals, but they fail. So we try to understand which are the biggest one. 
and the biggest uh, probability of success. We tend to follow, you know, there's for investment, you have two uh, approaches. You have the diversification and the power law approach. It depends on which is the thesis, uh, these kind of things. But we we tend to go for a power law approach. We go in a deep type kind of analysis. And uh, it's just not just having $2 million and investing in 20 companies. It's just having $2 million and investing maybe in two. That's pretty much the idea. And the, the ones that could have the highest probability of success, again, nobody knows the future, but uh, we're trying to de-risk the investment as much as possible. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, you were saying before that when you approach a PI, Sometimes, you know, they said, hey, I have a few PhD students in the lab that maybe they can get involved in this project. So first of all, how frequent is that? And second, how involved really gets the PhD in this type of projects? Knowing that, you know, the PI has been working in this for more than 10 years, or probably the majority of their lives. And that maybe now a PhD can actually take over that, uh, that project. So how involved um, the PI, you know, is in, in these projects and, and how that dynamic actually works out. Yeah, it's a process. Uh, it's a process. Most of the times, the PI uh, from the lab, they start the company from the first months and they, they go uh, an advisory board and this kind of things. So they can keep with the research on the lab. So they are not the CEO or anything like that. And most of the times, the any PhD that is working on the field, they tend to go as a CSO or CTO. A couple of them go to a CEO uh, and we coach them. You know, being a CEO is not being a research head or anything like that. Uh, you need to have some capabilities that sometimes us as a scientist, we don't have it. You know, uh, charisma, for example, we, you, you don't find a, a lot of uh, science guys with a lot of charisma and the CEO has to have like 80% of charisma um, and also understand the strategic, the, the, the commercial strategy and how to build these kind of things. So sometimes we start with the science guy as a CEO and then when they fulfill some stage of the company, we go and search for another CEO who has experience on the field and was the director for a big company or something like that. This is because we need to escalate the company. And sometimes, yes, sometimes, I mean, we have signed CEOs that they're going to a series A, right? But sometimes uh, they don't have what it takes. Um, I mean, sometimes they approach us and say, I cannot go on. I, I cannot do that. Maybe just move to a COO or CSO uh, position, and then we find together a CEO that suits the needs for the company. Yeah, I guess it's about realizing and, and accepting your own limitations, and at the end, what's the best for the company? <laughs> yeah, sometimes they don't realize that, and they go full throttle on that sense. Some we have some issues with them uh, yeah. sometimes, uh, but I mean, we are uh, we are partners, right? We don't want the company to fail. So yeah. we try to do our best uh, and, and work with them. Sometimes they let us enter and sometimes not. Uh, it's it's a case-by-case case kind of deal. Yeah, I'm sure. And we were talking about the science, you know, how CITES has a team where, you know, you support the scientists with all the, the business background. Um, but, you know, now 
I want to ask you something more particular about your vision about the ecosystem. Um, you know that in other places like the US or even there's in Argentina, a few um, venture builders that they are using a model where MBAs get matched with scientists and then from there, you know, they start a venture, um, which has been showing that is it can be successful. But how do you see institutions itself um, that where there are MBAs in the country or in Latin America? Um, how or what we need to do actually to make those MBAs to be more, um, you know, interested in the biotech? And because in Latin America, the majority of the unicorns or the unicorns that we have, actually, they are in the fintech area, right? And clearly, if you're an MBA, it's probably more complicated to, to understand the science or even to, you know, to try to get interest about it. Well, uh, if, you, if, you, if we were talking like five years ago, I could tell you that most of the MBAs just approach it to biotech due to curiosity or because they read something. It was not common for having that. But right now, uh, there's a lot of, uh, most of the universities here, they try to get some science in any MBA course or master degree. And we have some, uh, some VCs that they try to do that. They try to mix MBA with scientists and from the mix, they try to get a company. And uh, the thing is that they try to merge both worlds, but some of the MBAs, they have knowledge on commercial strategy, but they don't, as I mentioned you at the beginning, they, un they say they understand the business because they know how to understand the forces of Porter or this kind of a commercial kind of a strategy. But if you, you understand the science, it's pretty difficult to get a strategy, right? Um, so right now, more and more MBAs are starting to understand this. I mean, uh, I, I have, I am a professor at a, a postgrade course in one of the universities. And they asked me to, to show MBAs, uh, CFOs of people from different, uh, backgrounds about the, how to build a business model for biotech. And uh, I asked the director from the course saying, how, how do you want me to address these people if they don't understand what a cell is? I mean, I, I can show them the structure of the DNA, but that's probably all. And say, okay, just lower the technical side as much as you can. Uh, and that was, I mean, uh, it was the first, the first version of the course. Uh, we have CFOs and we have uh, owners of companies and we have different people, right? And when you talk about the science, I mean, I, I show them the, 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 the new technologies that are rising, right? DNA storage, 3D bioprinting, these kind of things. And they were crazy. Like, what the hell? What is this? I mean, that's science fiction. And I say, I mean, it's not science fiction. People are actually doing that right now. It's not a commercial, commercial usage. But you have people working on that. I mean, uh, Microsoft was the one of the first one who tried to uh, code a, a small movie on DNA, and they already have it. And you have the Wiz guys in Harvard working and trying to get more effective, this kind of thing, right? But from people outside the, the field, it's science fiction for them. It's like, yeah. uh, wow, I, I don't understand what you're selling. I, I mean, I understand that's a huge... Uh, industry, a huge uh, business, but I understand how. And uh, when you, you approach them and say, you know what, that's the business model that you can follow. And they understand that science 
one science company kind of have like maybe four different business models yeah, or four different ways of capture the value that they're developing, right? Uh, they were crazy and they say, I, I, I need to invest in this. I, I need to be the company, right? Yeah. It's because for them it's science fiction and it's not, I mean, war, I'm not saying the, I'm not talking bad about different industries, right? But uh, biotech and healthcare is disrupting. You know, it changed everything. It's not just getting a new e-commerce. It's not getting a, a new com- a new platform for buying crypto. It's yeah. transformative and it's changing lives. And uh, and people are starting to understand that. And that's why for the last five years, the amount of money that uh, it's been injected on the company in the in the industry increased like crazy. I mean, last year was like thirty million thirty billion dollars on investment. Yeah. And at the end, it's about exposition as well, right? So in that sense, how do you see like international, you know, uh, collaborations and between even institutions and let's say someone that, you know, from the US or other country that comes to Latin America and what are the learnings um, that you think that someone can get and experiences to then maybe go back to to a country, you know, their own country and, and do things differently? And in the other way around as well, you know, someone from Latin America going to US or other places where the biotech ecosystem, ecosystem is a little bit more um, developed. So um, how do you see those two dynamics and those two scenarios actually um, happening and how, what is your perspective at how that also could change potentially as well um, each own ecosystem? Yeah, the, the second one is the, you know, the one that you're gonna find <laughs> it's, it, it, it's a higher probability for you to find the second one than the first one. And that's mainly because the ecosystem is so mature in the US and you have the biggest probabilities of uh, accomplish like uh, everything is the, the American dream, right? Uh, there's a lot of budget for doing uh, research. There's a lot of equipment. You have like uh, a huge network of advice or a huge network of universities for working on that. You have, uh, you know, labs working in almost every field that you can imagine, right? Uh, but the the thing that we found out from people coming from the US or Europe into LATAM is that what they find is how to deal with the things that they cannot get. Uh, I, I don't want to say that, but dealing from frustration, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in LATAM, we tend to be the experts of working on frustration and the experts of working with the unknown, right? We we manage to get, I mean, we have a scientist here who publish in nature, science. I mean, I publish in neurology, right? One of the biggest uh, journals in, in neurology in the world. So we have uh, the, the possibility uh, to publish in really, really huge uh, companies with low budget. So we learn how to deal with the low budget and how we can get creative around these things, right? In US, if you are a, a guy or a scientist working on a lab, you, you can, you know, you can pay or buy things for 20K and you don't have to tell your director, right? Sometimes 20K is the full resource budget that you have for six months. Something like that, right? So you need to get create, creative uh, on how you can do the experiments 
on which are the experiment, the killer experiments from experiments that you need to do. And not just doing, you know what? I'm going to get a, a RNA sec just because uh, it could give me some information. I mean, here we do RNA sec is because we need to have it. I mean, right? So, I mean, if you, <laughs> one of the lessons that you can learn here is how to get more creative on this kind yeah. of thing, right? How to look things from different perspective. In Latin America, we tend to work multidisciplinary. Maybe more than in US because sometimes the science guys, they don't talk with physicians uh, because sometimes it's pretty difficult for them to work with. Sometimes having the approval from an ethics committee to do a POC is really difficult or really, uh, or, or you really need to have a high budget. While in Latin America, it's pretty easy for you to work with any physician. We have a lot of physicians who like to work on research and, uh, the clinics and the hospitals, they're really prone to help you with your research, your clinical research. So having the approval from ethics committee, it tends to be easier. I mean, you have to show the value and you have to show that it's, I mean, you, you take all the measures for safety, all these kind of things. But having a POC for a therapeutics or having a POC for digital health or diagnostics or whatever, it tends to be easier uh, and you you have the full team or the clinic working with you. I mean, we're working with a potential company who has a link with a clinician on a hospital and they have uh, the patients to work with them, right? So it's uh, one of the things that's pretty easy. Uh, I know the US is not easy having that. Most of the research guys in the lab, they don't... Like, I mean, they don't even think about working with physicians at the early stage of the research. Uh, sometimes later they have to, right? But uh, maybe at the beginning they don't have to. And we tend to work on that sense, always working in a multidisciplinary approach. And of course, if you're a US guy, uh, you're doing the PhD or whatever, you need to spend a couple of months on, you know, just to learn different perspectives. Uh, you know, uh, getting outside your comfort zone. That's pretty much, I, I, I tend to go outside my comfort zone every six months. But that, that's mostly because I'm curious, right? Uh, I mean, it, it, uh, on the COVID uh, pandemic, uh, where everybody was, you know, uh, learning how to cook, uh, these kind of things. I did my own podcast for innovation. Uh, and also start, uh, you know, learning how to play the piano. I, I really like to work outside my comfort zone, but I, I know that uh, scientists sometimes tend to be more conservative. Uh, they need just a little, little bit of a push to work on that side. Yeah, definitely. That's a great advice. So, Adrian, thank you so much for being today with us. It was really insightful to hear about your your career, you know, your path through academia, um, big pharma, and then advising companies, and also your perspective about Latin America ecosystem itself, about biotech. And so, definitely, there are exciting things that are going to happen in the future, and all the work that you do with ACITES, I think, is amazing. Um, as well, thank you for, you know, all your perspective for PhD students, you know, going to Latin America, what things they can learn and get that exposition. Um, and as well for Latin America students that listen to this and, you know, going to other countries and explore as well. So thank you so much for, for, for those advices and, and your perspective. 
And yeah, you know, there are many PhD students that are interested in venture capital. So I'm sure this is going to be very valuable. Yeah, sure. I think that it's uh, it really will help a lot of people that are, uh, you know, confused or insecure on these kind of things. Uh, maybe just one thing, if you want to get into the startup world without leaving uh, the PhD, you can be an advisor for a startup, right? There's uh, a couple of platforms uh, that it's like uh, LinkedIn for startups uh, and you can get advisory positions, right? And you can get into the day-by-day work of a, of a company without leaving the PhD, right? But I think that leaving the comfort zone would be a really nice thing. And uh, having a global perspective, uh, I mean, it, it changed a lot. Uh, and travel. Uh, I mean, if you have money, just travel, right? Uh, I, think, I think that's the, the best part of having some money to spend. Uh, but uh, I mean, if you have any, if any of the listeners have any question or wants to approach me, you can find me on LinkedIn. Uh, I tend to upload information every, maybe twice a week, uh, something like that. Uh, but I'm really open to anything that you want to talk to. That's great. Yes, definitely. I'm going to share um, your LinkedIn with our listeners in our website. And yeah, so as I said, uh, thank you so much for being with us. And yes, it was great to have you today in the podcast. Thank you very much, Gustavo. And thank you uh, very, very much for inviting me. Thank you for joining us. Don't forget to follow Hopkins Biotech Podcast on social media, at Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, or Twitter for updates about upcoming guests. And visit us at hopkinsbiotechpodcast.com to check out our full catalog of episodes. I am your host, Gustavo Carrizo. Thank you for listening.